Welcome you back this evening as we continue our series that we've been in on Sunday nights called God's Amazing Grace. This morning we talked about Judgment Day and what that will be like and what we presume in our minds will be. Of course, much of that is still a mystery. But there's one part of that that I want to call your mind to tonight. And this story will certainly call your mind to tonight. Uh, it, the story is maybe best captured by a song made famous uh, several years ago and that I think is in movie form still. Uh, the song is I Can Only Imagine. And it was prompted by the songwriter's, I believe it was his friend or father, I don't remember the detail, of this, that particular detail of the story, but he was dying of cancer in the hospital bed, and they were, he and the, the songwriter were conversing and talking, and uh, as part of that conversation, they, they began to discuss what, would, what was to come, what was the next step into eternity. And uh, that conversation uh, went back and forth. One of them said, I can only imagine, and that prompted in his mind uh, what led to a, a very well-known song. In that song... The, the author describes what will it be like on that glorious day when, at last, uh, we meet God in whatever sense we meet Him. Uh, tonight's story is about a man who met God and uh, the impact that that had on his life. You'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus 33, and where we'll be <clears throat> for most of the lesson tonight. We'll be using some other scriptures here and there. I'm going to be reading in verse, uh, starting in verse 7, and our, the entirety will be going through verse 23, uh, verse 23 but uh, for this, this initial reading, we're going to go through verse 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the tent of meeting. <clears throat> Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar <clears throat> of the clouds standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This is a very interesting passage. I think there's a lot that we can learn as we'll continue to read. And perhaps some in this passage spurs more questions. How did this work? And especially considering other verses, how is it that God met Moses, <clears throat> as the scriptures say, face to face? <clears throat> My apologies. <clears throat> For uh, my congestion, <clears throat> the allergies are uh, heavy. Uh, 
So the first thing we realize is that Moses sought God's shelter. Uh, A tent is a, a temporary place, and yet in this temporary place, Moses sought permanent refuge. Moses maintained, uh, always maintained, in my estimation and view, a holy fear of God. When the Lord called Moses, you will remember when he called him in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 6 of Exodus 3, says this, The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, what about that particular place made it holy? It's just a desert, presumably just a normal bush, other than the fact it was on fire. What made it holy, obviously, was the presence of God. And in the presence of God, the nature of the place changes. And when we think about that, that's certainly true with the bush. That was true in the tent. That's true in the New Covenant within us, that the Spirit of the living God, as part of the promise, resides in you. And so it changes the nature of you. Going on in Exodus 3, uh, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And what is his response? What is Moses' immediate response? At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 9, this attitude of fear and understanding who he is and who God is maintains. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 9, Then once again I fell prostrate before the Lord for forty days and forty nights. I ate no bread, I drank no water, because of all the sin that you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight, and so arousing his anger. He was mediating on behalf of Israel for their sin again, for their rebelliousness again, for their stiff neckedness again. Verse 19, I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me, and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him, but that time I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took that sinful thing of yours, the calf you made, and burned it in the fire, and I crushed it and ground it to powder as fine as dust and threw the dust into the stream that flowed down the mountain. It was Moses' holy, reverent fear of God that led to his deep, abiding relationship with God. Now, that seems contradictory. You don't often have a a deep, abiding relationship with someone you fear. The the relationship, let me start first by saying, the relationship set Moses apart, obviously. We know that his face glowed, the people of Israel understood his relationship with God. It set him apart in Exodus 33 physically. He was removed from everyone else. It it set him apart relationally uh, with them. 
And they set him apart as a leader, as God's anointed, as God's chosen. The people maintained a distance and a reverence toward that holy meeting between God and Moses. Moses had quite the legacy of being close to the Lord. In John, uh, we studied last year, chapter 9, verse 29. They said specifically, we know that God spoke to Moses. But is this for this fellow, referring to Jesus? We don't even know where he comes from. Now, they, they understood even centuries later that Moses and God were close. Face to face has to be a euphemism and not something to be interpreted literally. Uh, we know this from other scriptures. It, it, it was meaning a direct, close, trusting relationship. Um, in verse 20 of Exodus 33, we're told Moses could not be nose-to-nose, face-to-face with God. We're told elsewhere that no one can see God and live. Now, there's a couple parts to this. First of all, is God's absolute holiness and righteous, righteousness and purity. Um, there is such a separation, and, and we've lost the holy, reverent fear, so we've closed the gap. We've closed the gap. The gap that gap still exists. In fact, when you hear people talk about the holy fear of God, usually the, congrega- uh, the conversation or the lecture or the teaching degrades into saying that fear is simply respect. Like you'd respect a businessman or the President of the United States. and That's blasphemy. To put God on that level. That's not the kind of God that we serve. Moses feared the Lord. Anytime you get a picture of someone having a close, holy encounter with God, the immediate reaction is fear. I would, I would equivocate that to a sense of smallness, a sense of overwhelmedness, a sense of when you are just in the wrong place, when you do not belong. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I realize that's not about Moses, but he gives us a good descriptor of it. Isaiah chapter 6. A righteous prophet of God comes into the presence of his throne room. And he records these words. Isaiah's not an unrighteous man. He's not a man who doesn't love the Lord or respect. I mean, he has absolute respect for him. When he comes into the presence of the throne room of God, you listen to how he replies. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two ring- wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, not God's voices, my voice, mind you, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And what is Isaiah's response? Lord, I certainly respect you. No. He said, Woe to me. Woe to me. I am ruined. 
For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth. And he said, See, this has touched your lip. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. I just want you to understand that the people of God that were closest to God did have a relationship, but it was a, fear, it was a relationship that, that began in holy fear. And even amongst churches, even amongst God-following, God-seeking people, there is a sense sometimes when we forget that. The tent of meeting prior to the construction of the tabernacle that Moses um, gave instructions for, the presence of God was seen clearly by the cloud. You're following along. If you care to do so, Numbers chapter 12 is where you'd like to go. Numbers 12, 6 through 8. This helps clarify for us, hopefully, this idea of face-to-face. Again, not a literal interpretation. Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? There are levels of separation when we think about how we communicate today. You can call someone, you can text someone, you can send an email. Um, Most of the time, those will be sufficient to do the job of what you're trying to get across. But sometimes you need to have, you need to communicate clearly and in no uncertain terms a point, a a question, an issue. And you need, you need to look in that person's eyes. You need to get some face time. You need to be with them kneecap to kneecap. The Lord, there's this limitation with that, with that, in this, this regard. John 4.24 says, the Lord is spirit. He's not flesh. He doesn't have kneecaps. He doesn't have eyes, hands, face, back in the way that we understand those things as creatures of the flesh. So, he's speaking, here's your $5 word of the night, anthropomorphically. I, I just love that word enough, I'm going to say it again. We'll just keep it on the podcast. Wise. He's speaking anthropomorphically. He's, he's giving human characteristics to that which is not human, but which is holy. No mortal can fully see God. The scriptures will tell us how we can get close to it. But Moses had as close as a relationship as a person could, but it began in holy fear. And with that holy fear began a relationship in which Moses sought the refuge and the shelter of God. Secondly, Moses pursued God, God's presence, his holy presence. Exodus chapter 33 Starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. 
But you, have, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses, Moses absolutely knew his place. These weren't his people. They were God's. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go, unless you go, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. You see, Moses didn't just desire the presence of God within the tent. He needed the presence of God with his people. And he knew if there, was, if there was any place they would go and his presence was not with them, there was no point in even leaving. Just stay there. Because without the Lord's presence, victory uh, was not even a topic of discussion. Moses led, not because I don't think in the beginning, I don't think he wanted to. Remember the previous message, Please send someone else. But he led in holy fear because God wanted him to. I think sometimes in, in leadership, we get that backwards. We're not necessarily concerned if God wants us to or not. We want to. We have to be careful. Moses wanted to know more of the Lord and more of his ways. It's wisdom being exuded there. It shows you Moses' heart was centered not around him, not around the people, not around his authority, not around his power, not around being the guy who everybody knew, not about reading the voice that everybody heard, but about being the one who knew the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13, the prophet said, you will seek me, the, the Lord said to the prophet rather, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now question, sometimes we leave that to the leadership. We assume vicariously that someone else's relationship with the Lord is good enough for us. Are you pursuing God's presence? Are you seeking him with all of your heart? Moses understood who he was and whose he was. God knew and he favored Moses. Um, Hebrews 11 says this of Moses, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child. Of course, every parent believes that about their children. Moses' parents were right. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. I really like that. Maybe there was something within the DNA of Moses. He didn't, he didn't fear any earthly king's edict. 
He only feared the heavenly king. In the next verse, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He wasn't interested in power and glory and legacy for himself, but instead for the Lord. God promised his presence with Moses. His presence is what would give Moses assurance and confidence. Remember last week when he's having this sort of back and forth with the Lord, which I wouldn't recommend, but Moses was able to do it. And I wonder why, kind of wondered aloud, how is it that God would pick this guy to lead? He doesn't seem like the classical, self-assured, confident leader that you want he didn't strike you as a person who had great boldness. What, what gives him this boldness and confidence now? I think it was this, Exodus 33. If he knew that the presence of God was with him and with the people, then he could be very bold. Moses pleaded for his presence, not just on him, but on your people. This is interesting. Um, fun little tidbit here if you want to think about eternal things. Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 30. So Moses has this relationship with the Lord. It's based in holy, reverent fear of the Lord. I don't think he ever stopped being that. And that holy, reverent fear with the Lord led him to an, a deep, abiding relationship with God. And Moses was one of, known as one who spoke with the Lord face to face. Again, not literally, but in, in the sense of intimately, personally, deeply, connectedly, as one as well as one can know the Lord, the Almighty. Moses knew him and spoke with him, and they conversed together. Now, Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 30, is the story of Luke's account of the transfiguration. This is fascinating. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. And what are they doing? Talking with Jesus. I love that. I don't know exactly when Moses died. But it occurs to me that whenever he did, that that relationship did not change much. He still desired the Lord's presence. He still wanted to talk with him. He still, centuries later, when the very Lord himself was transfigured and, and the disciples are allowed to see this holy moment, they see the men of God still doing what the men of God had always done, seeking the Lord's face. And so God granted his goodness. Back to Exodus 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face and live, or no one may see my face and live. 
The Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Moses wanted to experience the full grandeur and glory of his creator. And he was bold enough to ask. Let me see your glory. I'm not, I'm not sure that there are things in heaven which fully are allowed to witness the glory and the majesty of God. I mean, in Isaiah's vision, the seraphs, they covered their faces, they covered their feet. They covered themselves from the holy glory of God and simply proclaimed to all the heavenly hosts, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Maybe the glory was not Moses to see. Maybe the glory is not ours to see. Perhaps he'll be good to us like he was to Moses. Shelter us and allow just his presence to pass by and completely overwhelm us. God said, you see my goodness, you hear my name, but to see my glory, that's too much. For any human, for any, for any man to see. Precautions were taking as a holy God came near. And, and even though Moses was a favored man and close to the Lord, he was still unholy as a man. And perhaps if he was allowed to come to the fullness of the presence of a holy God, my estimation is he would be completely consumed and killed. And so God sheltered him in the cleft of the rock and allowed him to get a sense of his holiness, his majesty, his might, and his power. <laughs> I'm left with the words of the song. I can only imagine. I can only begin to imagine. And we take away three things from this. Number one, hear God. Moses would tell us that. It's the listening to God. Here I am, Moses said when he was called. Acts chapter 3, we're recorded for thus these words of Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Now, now in Acts, we're not talking about Moses anymore. We're talking about a truer and better leader than Moses who would lead his people not in escape from bondage to a country enslaved but instead escape from bondage of the slavery of sin as Moses and Isaiah sat and talked with God at the transfiguration and God was there in the presence of that picture remember when when Jesus was baptized he said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen. And what I mean by that is not just hearing the words of God. Certainly a Sunday night crowd at Northside has heard a plethora of God's word. What I mean by hearing God's word is taking it into the heart 
seeking the presence and the face of God in His holiness and His majesty and listening to Him. May we have the attitude of the boy Samuel who is told, when you hear the voice of God, reply with these words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. May we listen to God and hear Him. It's not about hearing me. Some of you, thankfully, have caught on to that. It's not about filling in the outline. It's not about memorizing and knowing and it's about hearing. Every parent knows this. There are many things that we parents say. And you hear, you hear, but you don't hear. Um, should I pick on him or not? Give me an up or down, Tyler, or a yes or no. And I can pick on you? Okay. So, Tyler and I recently took a father-son trip. And uh, we had, uh, it, was, it, was, it was an awesome trip. I really enjoyed that time with my son. And we had a few rites of passage, things that we do that men do, you know. And one of those things, I can't tell you everything because you're, you weren't on the trip. But one of those things that we did together was I taught him to shave. Because you know, he's getting a Duck Dynasty look going on. So needed to take care of that. And as part of teaching Tyler about the use of the razor, three razor blades across his face, I warned him. I said, Tyler, these, these blades are very sharp. You have to apply the, the, the shaving cream and you make sure you get your face wet because you don't want the, the blades to nick you. They are very, very sharp and can hurt you very much. And so we gave him that instruction. He did fine. Um, and he told me today, he said, Dad... This morning I was shaving, as you do, and there was some shaving cream stuck in my razor, so I took my finger and I tried to get it out of there. You see, he heard me, but he didn't hear me. We understand. To a, a millionth exponential power, the Lord has been in this battle since Adam and Eve. Hear me. Listen to me. And we say, yeah, 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 I got it, God. I know, I know. I go to church. I hear it. I heard the sermon. I heard the lesson. I heard the thing. No, God's like, listen to me. So hear him. Number two, fear God. The bravest men and women of God, in my estimation, maintain the highest and holiest fear of God. Hebrews 12.21 said the sight, this is speaking of the mountain of God, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. It's more than respect. Respect is what you show other men. Fearful reverence is what you show the Lord. And by the way, it's lack of that fearful reverence which will get you into trouble every time. Finally, draw near God. Christ allows us in holy, reverent fear to draw near to God again. James 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Isn't that beautiful? 
Christ does for us what even Moses, in all his grandeur, in all of his wonderful experience and stories, could never have. We have access to a Savior who gives us the living personification of the Lord himself. He is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and he has made him known. James 4, 8, and 9 says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You see, that's what happens when we come to the holy presence of God with holy fear. We acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge who he is and who we are not, it does, it ought to change our laughter to mourning. I'm not saying we shouldn't be joyful, but he's talking about in relationship to understanding our sin and understanding how much separation we have from the Lord. Verse 10 is key. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, in the Christian culture today especially, we're all about being lifted up. We all want to be lifted up. We're ready to be glorified. I'm not too sure about that humility thing. Not too sure about changing laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. That's what happens when we come into the holy presence of God in reverent fear. May we have that attitude. Jesus is the true and better Moses because of his relationship to and his perfect reverence for God. He stands in the eternal gap between the people and the Lord and he mediates a new and better covenant. He is the only way to someday experience the full shelter, the full presence, and the full glory of the Lord. If you do not know him, I want to encourage you in holy fear to seek his face. With all your heart. He waits for you. He's done everything for you to bring you to him. But he will not force that relationship on you. If you are ready to know Christ, we want you to know him. And we'll help you take the first step of obedience of faith. Believing and trusting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you can begin to walk with Christ. And know the face of the Lord. If you have a need, please come tonight. I'll meet you down front as we stand and sing.